Welcome back to our listeners. My name is Jessamine and I head up the employment and IP departments in Stevenson Harwood's Hong Kong office. Today's podcast focuses on Canada as a potential destination for Hong Kong business owners. As with our previous podcasts, in this series, we will have two podcasts per jurisdiction. The first looks at the different options available in setting up a business in the overseas jurisdiction, the tax regime, and how business owners can ensure that they can obtain residency rights for themselves and their family members. The second podcast will focus on the employment regime in Canada and will highlight issues which business owners need to know, the laws relating to the employment of local staff, and the procedural requirements relating to transferring employees from Hong Kong to work in a Canadian entity. With me today is Kenneth from Kenneth Ng Law Corporation and my fellow partner, Kevin Lee, from the Wealth Department of Stevenson Harwood's Hong Kong office. For the benefit of our listeners who don't know Kevin, he grew up and qualified as a lawyer in Canada before moving to Hong Kong. Kevin, I understand that you still handle Canadian issues for your clients. Please tell us what considerations need to be made in setting up a Canadian branch office of a Hong Kong business or a new local subsidiary. Thank you, Jasmine. When a Hong Kong business considers setting up in Canada, it should, of course, look at both business reasons as well as um, applicable corporate tax or employment laws. Uh, Many of these laws are different from what the Hong Kong owners or directors might be accustomed to. Now, corporate and business registrations are essential. I will assume for this discussion that the Hong Kong business is in the form of a, a, say, a Hong Kong company, and that currently the owners and directors are Hong Kong residents and have no connections with Canada. That That is important for the initial assumption because Canadian residency is a somewhat complicated issue. Let's then assume that the owner-operator will migrate to Canada, and it is possible the Hong Kong business will also continue in Hong Kong. And there may be personnel who are based in Hong Kong, but some personnel including perhaps the owner himself or herself, to be based in Canada. Now, for tax reasons, the Hong Kong company may not want to have officers stationed in Canada or to register its own branch there, as there would be Canadian tax implications for the Hong Kong company if that were to happen, on the basis that the Hong Kong company might then have what we call a permanent establishment in Canada for tax purposes. Instead, uh, I would say typically the Hong Kong company might consider registering a new Canadian subsidiary company to ring-fence both liability and tax exposure. Alternatively, the owner-operator who moves to Canada could form his own separate company in Canada. Please note, though, that Canada has different types of companies to choose from. A federal company might be appropriate if the Canadian business will be happening in several provinces. On the other hand, if the business will happen mostly from one area, then many of our clients would just use what we call a provincial company. But note then that a BC company, for example, cannot carry on business in Ontario or vice versa. So you know, unless this provincial company obtains an extra provincial registration in the other province. Now, before the owner moves to Canada and incorporates any such company, he or she really should obtain tax advice and also advice on the appropriate persons to act as directors depending on which type of Canadian company is formed. Please also note that if the owner-operator becomes Canadian tax resident and he or she continues to have shares in the original Hong Kong company, then he or she will have Canadian tax and reporting obligations 
in respect of the Hong Kong business and would need Canadian tax advice on that. So if a client wants to set up a branch office in Canada, well, what are the requirements? Well, if the Hong Kong business does decide to register a branch, keeping in mind my previous advice that this could have some issues, the procedure varies from province to province. Um, I'm originally from Vancouver and will give you a high-level description for British Columbia, but we do not have time to go into the differences in each province. So in BC, the branch process is known as an extra-provincial registration. You start by searching for name availability and reserving the name that you want. Then you need to submit a registration statement, which we can assist with if needed. Then the corporate registry will issue a certificate, which the person needs to keep at a records office. The extra-provincial company needs a business number issued by Canada Revenue Agency, and it needs to quote this number when dealing with the authorities, for example, when obtaining workers' insurance, claiming tax refunds, and so on. Okay, Kevin. So how does a local subsidiary differ from a branch office? So the subsidiary is a separate legal entity from the Hong Kong parent company, whereas the branch would be just an extension of the Hong Kong company. A branch has no separate legal existence. Now, as mentioned, there may be tax or liability exposure considerations which determine which approach is preferable. So tell me about the tax regime in Canada. Are there any tax incentives for companies that set up their regional headquarters in Canada? Actually, yes. I mean, in general, certain provinces do have various incentive programs to attract investment into areas the province deems relevant. These could be in the form of tax credits or interest-free loans or even actual grants. For example, uh, BC has been known to support venture capital in the province and for families involved in the maritime sector, including some of my clients, there is an interesting tax incentive to relocate management of the shipping company in Vancouver, but without the parent shipping company, say in Hong Kong or elsewhere, being exposed to Canadian tax. Provinces may give tax incentives for hiring tertiary education students, and several provinces that I'm aware of have innovation or tech and R&D incentive programs. I would say provinces tend to want investment in more needy regions. I mean, Canada, we have very large provinces, and there are places in there which are not what you might have heard of, like in Vancouver or Toronto. And the provinces may grant tax incentives to support investment in those needy regions. Aside from these fiscal incentives, my my friend Ken will be explaining about the immigration initiatives such as the provincial nominee programs, which are designed to support less developed regions of certain provinces. Okay, thanks for that, Kevin. So we've talked about different company formations and tax. How about the practicalities? For clients setting up overseas, it's often the case that setting up the business isn't itself difficult, but opening bank accounts is an issue. In Hong Kong, we assist clients with this process, which can take around one to two months, depending on which bank they're seeking to open an account with. How does Canada compare in terms of the likely issues that clients will face in applying for a bank account for their business? Well, I'm not a banker, but I would say in general, it, it seems easy enough for someone who has moved to Canada to open a bank account. Um, If you want to, again, generalize the due diligence process from the banks is perhaps less stringent and faster than comparable position in Hong Kong. 
Although I, I should warn that things can change as the global compliance climate evolves. I mean, I, mean, I am seeing some evolution in that regard from my Canadian contacts. Thanks, Kevin. And now let's turn to Kenneth to look at the options which are open to Hong Kong business owners who want to immigrate to Canada. As I understand the position in Canada, the purchase of property will not give the owner any residency rights, so there is no shortcut available. Is that correct? That is correct. So for Hong Kong business owners who set up a branch office or a local subsidiary in Canada, what steps do they then need to take to ensure that they can move to Canada to manage the business, whether as an employee or a director? A Hong Kong business owner will need to decide if he wishes to move to Canada temporarily or permanently. He can also first move to Canada on a temporary basis and then later apply for permanent residence. There are a number of categories of temporary residence and permanent residence. First, I'll address temporary residence or work permits. One option open to a business owner is to apply for a temporary residence work permit. The process starts by the employer requesting a labor market impact assessment. We also call it LMIA from the Labor Department, which is called Employment and Social Development Canada or ESDC. Another name is Service Canada. The purpose of the LMIA is to determine if the hiring of a temporary foreign worker will have a positive or negative impact on the Canadian labor market. An LMIA confirms the following. There is a need for a temporary foreign worker and no Canadians or current residents are available to do the job. A Canadian employer must comply with the LMIA program requirements. One of the requirements is recruitment. As part of the temporary foreign worker program requirements, the Canadian employer must conduct recruitment efforts to hire Canadians and permanent residents before offering a job to a temporary foreign worker. I'm now going to address the minimum recruitment requirements. Before applying for a labor market impact assessment, Canadian employer must conduct at least three different recruitment activities. First, they must advertise on the Government of Canada's job bank or an alternative method supported by a written rationale of the alternative method. Secondly, they must also conduct at least two additional methods of recruitment that are consistent with the occupation. That is, targets an audience that has the appropriate education, professional experience, or skill level required for the occupation. One of the methods used must be national in scope, which means Canadians and permanent residents must have the capacity to search advertisements for work locations across Canada in a single site, as opposed to referring to individual or regional subsites. There are various acceptable methods of recruitment for a job advertisement, which includes general employment websites, specialized websites which are dedicated to specific occupational profiles, local, regional, and national newspapers or newsletters. So if a Hong Kong business owner sets up a Canadian subsidiary or branch office, which will be the Canadian employer, they then need to write their own job specification as CEO or director of the company. Yes, that is the case. There's a category called owner-operator that a Hong Kong business owner can apply for. To qualify as an owner-operator, foreign nationals must demonstrate 
prior to submitting their application and for the duration of their employment in Canada, the following. They have the controlling interest in the business by being the sole proprietor, by being a majority shareholder, holding more than 50% of the shares, by providing an official document to confirm that one shareholder has controlling interest. Also, they cannot be dismissed. The advantage of this category is that no advertisement or recruitment is required. Ken, I understand that there have been some proposed changes to the owner-operator program that have been recently announced by the government. Yes, Service Canada has recently proposed several changes to the current owner-operator program. The consensus among those in the industry is that if these changes take effect as currently laid out, the implications on the program may be detrimental. Some of the changes proposed by Service Canada include Regarding recruitment, currently, as mentioned, applicants under the owner-operator program are exempt from the LMIA advertising requirements. The proposed changes would require that potential owners make a reasonable and provable effort to hire a Canadian or permanent resident for the position that they themselves intend to fill. Regarding wages and working conditions, currently, applicants are not required to pay themselves the prevailing wage for the industry and position. Service Canada's changes require that the position be advertised at the prevailing wage and if and when they hire themselves, they must pay themselves that wage. On the issue of genuineness, the business must be active and operating at the time of application and the owner must be materially involved for one year prior to applying for the program. Finally, with respect to classification of occupation, the employer must assign a correct national occupational classification, also known as NOC code, that clearly distinguishes the role the potential owner-operator is filling is at a senior managerial level. This is merely a summary of the proposed changes. The stakeholders in the industry, including immigration consultants and lawyers, as well as employers, have made submissions to Service Canada, and it is important to note that the proposed changes have not been made public as final. Thanks for that, Ken. Obviously, if those changes are implemented, they will make it more difficult for a Hong Kong business owner to, to get approval for the owner-operator license. There are other LMIA requirements, but in the interest of time, once you know that Once a positive LMIA opinion is obtained from Service Canada, the applicant, in our case, the Hong Kong business owner, would need to apply for a work permit from Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada. The short name is IRCC. IRCC is a department of the Government of Canada with a responsibility for matters dealing with immigration to Canada, refugees, and Canadian citizenship. There are a number of LMIA-exempt categories, I should point out. The one that would be most applicable to the Hong Kong business owner is the intra-company transferees category. Intra-company transferees may apply for work permits under the general provision if they meet the following requirements. That is, if they are currently employed by a multinational company and seeking entry to work in a parent, a subsidiary, a branch or an affiliate of that enterprise, are transferring to an enterprise that has a qualifying relationship with the enterprise in which they're currently employed, 
and will be undertaking employment at a legitimate and continuing establishment of that company, where 18 to 24 months can be used as a reasonable minimum guideline, are being transferred to position in an executive, senior, managerial, or specialized knowledge capacity, have been employed continuously, that is via payroll or via contract directly with the company, by the company that plans to transfer them outside Canada in a similar full-time position, non-accumulated part-time for at least one year in the three-year period immediately preceding the date of the initial application. So Kenneth, for, for the purposes of this exempt category, what is the definition of a multinational company? Multinational means the subject company has either a parent a subsidiary, a branch, or an affiliate of that enterprise abroad. In our case, that would be Hong Kong. And a parent, a subsidiary, a branch, or an affiliate in Canada. The most common scenario would be a Hong Kong parent company incorporated under the laws of Hong Kong and a Canadian subsidiary incorporated under the laws of one of the Canadian provinces, or federally, under a statute called the Canada Business Corporations Act, or CBCA. So what I understand you're saying is that as long as the Hong Kong business owner has set up the Canadian entity, they can then apply as an intra-company transferee for a period of 18 to 24 months and should be able to obtain a work permit. Are there any requirements relating to the financial turnover of the Canadian subsidiary that has to be generated? For intra-company transferees, the maximum work permit duration is seven years for executives and senior managers and five years for specialized knowledge workers. However, for startup companies, intra-company transferees are issued an initial term of one year. One should note that there are no financial turnover requirements that the Canadian subsidiary must meet per se. However, for startup companies, the following requirements apply. The company must furnish realistic plans to staff the new operation. The company must have the financial ability to commence business in Canada and compensate employees. When transferring executives or managers, the company must demonstrate that it will be large enough to support executive or management function. So essentially, the subsidiary or branch office needs to also benefit the Canadian community on the basis that it will employ locals, will be self-sustaining, and be sizable enough to warrant a, a tier of management. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So assuming the Hong Kong business owner wants to apply for, for the PR route, can you tell us more about this process? There are numerous permanent residence categories under Canada's immigration system. However, some of the options that may be available to a Hong Kong business owner are as follows. I'll first discuss the express entry system, which includes federal skilled workers and the Canada experience class. Express entry is an online system that we in Canada use to manage applications for permanent residents from skilled workers. Express entry manages applications for three economic immigration programs, and each has different requirements. Of the three programs, the two programs that are likely to be appropriate for a Hong Kong business owner are Federal Skilled Worker Program, we also call it FSW for short, 
and the Canadian Experience Class, or CEC. I would now like to address the comprehensive ranking system. The first step is the assessment scoring under the comprehensive ranking system, also called the CRS, which is the points-based system used to assess and score applicants' profile and rank the applicant in the express entry pool. What IRCC does is that it selects the highest ranking candidates from the pool and invites them to apply for parent residence. The points an applicant gets from the CRS include a core set of points based on the following. The first is skills and experience factors, spouse or common law partner factors such as their language skills and education, skills transferability, including education and work experience. Additional factors are Canadian degrees, diplomas, or certificates, a valid job offer, a nomination from a province or territory, a brother or sister living in Canada who is a citizen or permanent resident, and strong French language skills. So, so Kenneth, you mentioned that the IRCC selects the highest ranking candidates from the pool and invites them to apply for permanent residence. What if you're not actually invited to apply for permanent residence? What happens then? If ultimately IRCC does not invite the applicant for a permanent residence, the applicant can subsequently go back to express entry and reapply. I would next like to address the Federal Skilled Worker Program in particular. This program has minimum requirements for skilled work experience, language ability, and education. Skilled work experience means that the applicant has been working in a managerial job, a professional job, or a technical job and skilled trade, and his skilled work experience must be in the same type of job as the position he or she is applying for in his or her immigration application. In terms of language ability, the applicant must take approved language tests in English or French for writing, reading, listening, and speaking, and obtain the minimum score of Canadian language benchmark, also called CLB level seven, in all four abilities. The test results will be set out on the applicant's express entry profile. Language tests are valid for two years after the date of the test result. They must be valid on the day the applicant applies for permanent residence. In terms of education, if the applicant went to school in Canada, the applicant must have a certificate, diploma, or degree from a Canadian secondary institution, that is high school, or post-secondary institution. On the other hand, if the applicant has foreign education, the applicant must have a completed credential and an educational credential assessment called ECA for immigration purposes from a designated organization showing his or her education is equal to a completed certificate, diploma, or degree from a Canadian secondary institution or post-secondary institution. Another requirement is proof of funds. What that means is that the applicant must show that he or she has enough money for him or her and his family to settle in Canada. 
unless the applicant is currently able to legally work in Canada or has a valid job offer from an employer in Canada. So Kenneth, tell me how much are we talking in terms of funds? Is there a magic figure which will be acceptable as a minimum sum? RCC uses a method called low income cutoff or LICO, L-I-C-O, which represents the poverty line in urban areas of Canada with a population of 500,000 persons or more. According to the LICO figures for 2020, one person needs around Canadian dollars, 12961 close to $13,000, for a six-month period to support himself or herself. The figures go up with the number of people in the family to Canadian dollars, 34299 for a family of seven persons for a six-month period. One should note that for most immigration options, like the Federal Skilled Worker Program, there's a requirement of proving funds based on a six-month LICO. So, assuming the applicant meets all the minimum requirements, then how will their application be determined? IRCC will decide whether the grant permit residence, based on the applicant's age, education, work experience, language skills, whether the applicant has a valid job offer, and adaptability, meaning how IRCC considers the applicant is likely to settle in Canada. Another program I would like to discuss is the Canadian Experience class. In my opinion, this program may be suitable to Hong Kong business owners as well. The minimum requirements are that the applicant must meet the required language levels needed for the applicant's job for each language ability. And as I mentioned, writing, reading, listening, and speaking have at least one year of skilled work experience in Canada in the last three years before the applicant applies. And the work experience must be full-time or an equal amount in part-time. In addition, the applicant must have gained work experience by working in Canada while under temporary residence status with authorization to work. One should note that there's no education requirement for the Canadian Experience class. So, Kenneth, are there any other programs that might be relevant to Hong Kong business owners? I should mention the Provincial Nominee Program, or PNP. This is a program for workers who have the skills, education, and work experience to contribute to the economy of a specific province or territory in Canada, want to live in that province, and want to become permanent residents of Canada. There's an entrepreneurial stream under the PNP which requires active and ongoing management of a business for a period of time in the subject province or territory. I should note that each province and territory has its own streams. That means immigration programs that target certain groups and requirements. For example, in a program stream, provinces and territories may target students, business people, skilled workers, or semi-skilled workers. The applicant will need to apply using the paper-based process or by the online process through express entry, which we discussed earlier. As part of the process, the applicant will have to pass a medical exam and get a police check, i.e., obtain a police certificate. 
Everyone must have these checks, no matter where they plan to live in Canada. So does the business owner need to have run the business in Canada to be considered under the PMP? Or will consideration be given of the time spent running the business in Hong Kong? Under PMP, the Hong Kong business owner will need to actively manage the business in Canada. Criteria, which includes business experience, net worth, amount of investment, priority sectors, varies between the 10 provinces and three territories in Canada. However, there are key sectors which will be eligible for additional points for the applicant, such as agri-foods, biomedical, technology, and green economy, to name a few. After PR is granted, does it last indefinitely, or can PR be revoked, say, if the individual leaves Canada for a long period of time? There is a residency obligation under Canada's Immigration and Refugee Protection Act. The statute is also called IRPA. To keep the applicant's current resident status, the applicant must have been in Canada for at least 730 days during the last five years. It should be noted that these 730 days don't need to be continuous. So, Kenneth, is there a particular option which gives the individual better prospects for immigrating? The probability of success of any work permit or permanent residence application in Canada is dependent on the applicant's background and how well it matches with the program requirements be it permanent residence or work permit. In general, most permanent residence programs have a point system and a minimum number of points required before the applicant is invited to apply. So once the work visa or permanent residency is granted, how do immediate family members obtain dependent visas and will they have the right to work on dependent visas? First of all, for the spouse, a spouse or family member of a work permit holder of a higher level work permit, i.e. one in a management position, may be eligible for an open work permit. That is one that does not restrict who is the Canadian employer. For minor children, minor children already in Canada are authorized to study without a study permit at the preschool, primary, or secondary level if one of the parents is a work permit holder. While optional, these minor children may also elect to apply for and be documented with a student permit. What are the main issues for those looking to immigrate to to Canada? Is it possible for you to just sum them up in terms of what, what you see in the applications that you handle? For many Hong Kong business owners who wish to move to Canada on a temporary basis, two viable options are to apply for a work permit as an intra-company transferee, as I mentioned, or as an owner-operator, which we discussed earlier. Having sufficient funds in the KM Bank will make it easier. The longer the business has been established in Hong Kong, the better for their application. Although I should note, simply having a successful business in Hong Kong is not a guarantee that a subsidiary or branch office can be equally successful in Canada. It is important that a business owner does his or her homework to check what regulations, if any, in Canada will apply to the business and to consider carefully a business plan for the Canadian entity, which may be different to that of the Hong Kong entity. So once visas have been granted, what steps need to be taken to ensure that the approvals are not revoked? The key is to satisfy the residency obligation that we discussed above. If an immigrant already has current residence status, IRCC may decide to revoke his status 
because of a criminal record. IRCC can decide to remove permanent resident status at any point because of criminal record, even if the offense is only brought to the attention of Immigration Canada years after the fact. The immigrant's residency status can be revoked and he or she can be deported even if the permanent resident has lived in the country for many years. Ken, apart from the more conventional route which we have already discussed, the Canadian government has very recently announced new immigration measures which target specifically the younger generation of Hong Kongers in response to the passage of the Hong Kong National Security Law. Can you tell us more about these measures? The Canadian government has to date only published an outline of the measures with further details to come over the next few months. What we currently know is there will be one new work permit initiative and two new pathways to permanent residence. As you mentioned, these new avenues are for Hong Kong residents only, unlike the existing routes we've discussed, which are open to the entire world. For the work permit initiative, a Hong Kong resident completing his secondary education in Canada or abroad in the last five years may be eligible for an open work permit for up to three years in duration. For the two new permanent residence pathways, one will be open for Hong Kong residents who have gained a minimum of one year of authorized in-Canada work experience and have met other criteria such as minimum language and education levels. The other one caters for Hong Kong residents who graduate from a Canadian post-secondary institution. These measures will also apply to Hong Kong residents already in Canada under existing work and student permits. One thing to note is that although having a criminal record usually negatively impacts the prospect of immigration application, the Canadian government has made it clear that convictions outside Canada for actions not considered an offence in Canada are not grounds for inadmissibility. In the case of recent events in Hong Kong, Canada supports the right to peaceful protests, freedom of expression, and freedom of assembly. Accordingly, taking part in peaceful protests is not considered an offence in Canada. So since the new work permit will be an open work permit, does it mean a labour market impact assessment and proof of offer of employment from a Canadian employer are not required, unlike the existing temporary residence work permit you've talked about? That is correct. This new initiative is intended to be a fast-track procedure open to the youths in Hong Kong. So it's in the form of an open work permit, meaning that the applicant can first move to Canada and then look for a job. Many hurdles of the existing work permit regime are removed, such as the LMIA, controlling interest as an owner-operator, intra-company transfer of a multinational company. So, young business startup owners who are recent graduates and want to set up a branch business in Canada could make good use of this initiative to move to Canada and manage a Canadian business. It's also easier for business owners who want to employ Hong Kong recent graduates to work for their Canadian subsidiary branch office. Looking at the new measures as a whole, does it mean that the one-year-in-Canada work experience gained by a Hong Kong resident under the new open work permit can go toward an application for permanent residency under the first new pathway? Potentially, yes. 
The open work permit can be a way for easy transition to permanent residence. And Ken, under these new measures, will the eligibility for permanent residency and work permit of the Hong Kong applicant's family be different from that under the existing routes? It appears more or less the same. For the new work permit, eligible spouses or common law partners and dependent children can also apply for a study or work permit. For the new permanent residence pathways, in Canada spouses, partners, and dependent children can be included in the principal applicant's application. After successfully obtaining permanent residence, the applicant's parents and grandparents can also apply for super visas, which will allow them to enter Canada for up to two years at a time over a period of up to 10 years. What practical guidance can you give for those looking to immigrate to Canada? In closing, it is advisable for those planning to move to Canada to research and review their options, whether applying for permanent residence or a work permit. As Canada is a large country, it is advisable to research and review which part of Canada that one wants to live, factoring cost of living, especially the cost of housing, family ties, climate, geography, infrastructure, and culture. Thank you, Kenneth and Kevin, for providing such an insightful overview of considerations for investing in Canada. That's all for our podcast today. Join us next time to hear about the employment regime in Canada. You can listen again to our podcast and subscribe to the whole series on iTunes or by visiting the Stevenson Harwood website. Thank you for listening.